So you want to watch a movie but you don't know which Choosing the one can be a bitch But Jared and Drew have perfected the art So sit back, relax, and trust the dark It's Dartboard Movie Night What's going on everyone? I'm Drew And I'm Jared And welcome to Dartboard Movie Night The podcast where we put 20 movies on a board, throw a dart at it, and let the fates decide Tonight, we are breaking new ground on the show. We hit our first bullseye, and in addition to that, we've got our first guest. You know him as the writer and the voice behind our theme song. It's Eric Williams. How you doing, Eric? Howdy, listeners. Woo! I'm good, What up, Eric? (laughs) Doing good, man. Uh, Welcome to the show. Um, Yeah, so Eric is a longtime friend of mine. I've known him since... uh, freshman year of college i i met you when you were touring clemson uh stayed in my my apartment that i was living in on campus and uh we've been friends ever since and you know eric and i go way back in terms of watching movies too uh we used to just you know in college kind of get stoned and (laughs) watch movies in in the dorms and then as you do as we all did you know classic college shit but Eric, what are some of your your kind of memories, I guess, of like watching movies through the years? Because we've watched a lot of good ones. Yeah. Wow. Um, I just the first thing I think of is like the different apartments that that consisted <laughs> of. It was usually your room. Your room was the movie room. Had the big bean bags. I think at one point, like black lights were happening. Um, <laughs> you know. Lots of popcorn. ultimate frisbees flying around. Tapestries <laughs> on the wall for sure. <laughs> Yeah, Bob very Marley dark. posters. Always very, very dark. dark. <laughs> Always very dark. I mean, you got to have the proper lighting if you're going to watch movies, you know? The one that sticks out in my brain was when we watched The Truman Show. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that, that one sticks out for sure. I feel like, did we watch Eternal Sunshine too? That's I'm like sure we did. I was obsessed with that movie movies. in college. Yeah. And like Into the Wild is another oh, one. That was a good one. When you guys watched... The Truman Show. Do you remember if either of you had seen it before? Or was it first time for both? I had seen it once before, but I don't think anyone else in the room had seen it at the time. And I bought it on Blu-ray. This was like right when Blu-ray players were kind of becoming a thing, I guess. Uh, and I felt really cool that I had, you know, Blu-rays to show. And uh, <laughs> man, that movie. Yeah, we were the the correct kind of inebriated to uh, really mm-hmm. appreciate that movie on a deep level. I had a weird experience with the Truman Show. I don't know if you remember this, like me telling you this, but I had been to, it's shot at Seaside Beach in Florida. And I had been to Seaside Beach and like shopped at that grocery store and been around that town, which is like straight up the whole Truman Show is that town. So it was a very strange experience, like watching it and being like, I know where this is. I've been in here. I remember hearing about it when we were there, like, oh, this is where they shot the Truman Show. I was like, what's the Truman Show? And then watched it in college and it was like, whoa, he's going into Modica to get beer. <laughs> it's kind of, work? it's funny that they like are celebrating the fact that it was shot there. I mean, I get that they would in terms of tourist factor, but it's also the fact that, that in that movie, that, that town is being used as a stand-in for the most plastic, like basic-ass fucking town. Mm. It's almost an insult. <laughs> yeah, it's like one of the coolest beach towns there is in the U.S. Think of just how the board works in mysterious ways. Like, there's kind of a lot of similarities in ways between Truman Show and Vivarium. So it's kind of cool. That, it's true. Like, they're both kind of like trapped in this sort of cookie cutter 
sort of system structure thing. And it's, I don't know, it's just kind of a fun little, I guess, similarity between those. Absolutely. And you could even say that about Eternal Sunshine, too. Well, what are some of your other favorite movies, Eric? Give us a, a, an idea of your taste. Yeah. So let's see. I'll, I'll start at the beginning. I mean, like the, the when I was younger, the, the first like big movie experiences I, that really stand out to me were seeing like Star Wars Episode One in theaters, Lord of the Rings. I was like super into both the books and the movies. And I remember that being like a really big event to go see that in theaters. And then later on, I was kind of more into you know, R rated comedies as like a 15 year old watching those. Um, as so you like do. when I think of movies in that time, I think more of like stuff I rented like American pie, scary movies, stuff like that. Um, mm. I remember seeing like super bad in theaters and that being like one of my favorite movies. Uh, and then in college is when I kind of started to branch out more and, you know, off the beaten path, I, I'll credit drew for a lot of that for sure. <laughs> Um, and, you know, just kind of went back into older movies, some, uh, not nearly as much as I should, which your podcast is, is helping me do. Um, but that's when I kind of got into movies like, like Donnie Darko was like one of my favorite movies in college. Um, Truman show, like we talked about eternal sunshine and spotless mind, butterfly effect, Pleasantville. So you're probably picking up that I like movies like this that are kind of weird, sci-fi, you know, you don't know where what's going to happen. You don't know where things are going. Um, you don't know what it's trying to say. Yeah, no. And I think I think it's also probably telling of your taste that like one of your favorite shows, I don't know if it's your favorite of all time, but it's up there, I would imagine, is uh, Black Mirror. Yeah, like two my probably my two favorite shows are up there, Black Mirror and Lost. And those are both kind of, Oh, I fucking love lost. I love bumping into other lost fans because there's like the show gets shit on a lot and I really like it. I I think it's really uncalled for. There are some, some stretches that aren't great, but overall I think the show is awesome. And I love that you are into it too. Cause I, I dig it big time. Yeah. Like I, I I like a movie that that opens a lot of questions, like asks a lot of questions they don't necessarily all need to be answered. Like some of that is mm. kind of part of the appeal. And that's one of the reasons I chose this movie. Um, and the other is just like, I had to think of a movie that you guys hadn't already seen, which, you know, not super easy. And a movie that, you know, would maybe mix it up a little bit. Uh, I, I, I thought, I wasn't sure if you guys would like it or not. You definitely, uh, I, you definitely did a, a good job picking something that uh, that took us off the beaten path. That's for sure. Did, yeah, it just, I again, I really do like the concept of the show. It sounds ridiculous, but a movie Drew and I had never heard of. Like, you know, again, we, Drew and I are not like the upper echelon of film nerds, but we love movies, and it's really cool that you picked to, a movie that neither of us had ever heard about. I don't. I can't think of a way I would have found my way to it. In all honesty, I'm not a huge fan of. Um, and this wasn't actually. I'm gonna go take that again. Um. Yeah, it's just something that I wouldn't have found my way to. Like I, I and that's our first bullseye. So it's fun to kind of explore that idea. And I personally think you hit it out of the park with this recommendation. I think it's a really fucking cool movie and something that Drew and I, I don't think would have picked at all and was awesome. So, Eric, I do have a question for you. Shoot. People out there listening might not. Not only 
did Eric provide the song, which I texted you this, by the way, but that song is so fucking great. Like the, the, the theme song for the show, I was floored when you, when you submitted it. It's perfect, dude. You did such a good job. Um, but in addition to being a great musician, he's also one of the few, the proud, casual listeners to Dartboard Movie Night Podcast. <laughs> the few, the proud. So I know, you've, <laughs> I know you've listened to a few here and there. Uh, in addition to kind of as we talk about your tastes in kind of movies, and it does seem you like that sort of like kind of surreal, strange, dreamy, isolated sort of vibe in a way. Were there any movies that we've covered so far, the episodes you may have checked out that, that you really dug or, or maybe you didn't like or episodes in general that you liked? Yeah, so I think, and, and disclaimer here, I've watched about half of them to this point. That's so I'm, more than most. Which is really a, a, a kudos to you guys because you're churning out content faster than I can watch it. So I plan on, <laughs> on watching all of them, but I'm just not, you know, not quite at the pace. Uh, but, you know, now that ski season's ending, I'll have some more time for that. But to answer your question, my favorite movie that I've watched so far is Burning. Nice. Oh, yeah. Really liked that one. It's one of the it's a movie kind of like Vivarium where it's you don't know where it's going. Like it could it could. Well, you mentioned open ended nature of stuff like that. You enjoy kind of questions not being answered. And that movie is like the the epitome of like we're not answering your questions. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's that. almost no resolution, like no definitive resolution at the end of that movie. In a way, it's so cool. I like the kind of movie that when you're watching it, you're sitting there thinking, "What's going to happen?" And then when you finish it, you're like, "What did just happen? Like, what actually yes. was that?" And then like later at night, you're laying there in bed thinking, "Like, what were they trying to say with that?" And you, yep. you know, there's a lot of unanswered questions, and there's different themes and stuff, and. That's kind of what I gravitate towards, especially for like talking about the movie, you know, because then you can kind of talk yeah. through, you know, those different questions and what your thoughts were. It's not, yeah, it sounds like you really enjoy movies where it provokes questions and it provokes like that conversation afterwards. I think like that's cool that like your movie taste is kind of centered around the conversation about the movie, which is that's neat. Yeah, and like back to Lost, like I think that was the best part about Lost was if you were watching it live and you had friends that were watching it live, you'd like talk about it every week and be like, "Whoa, what's what's the smoke monster? Like, what could that be?" You know. um, Well, and all the internet, like just you know the message boards, kind of trying to figure out the clues and all that shit. Yeah. Well, so the other half of your question, though, Jared, was the uh, the bit about, or, or the other half of your answer, I think, Eric, was uh, that you had a different episode that you preferred. Yeah. So uh, I got to say, the Sling Blade episode uh, was a nice, <laughs> nice departure. It was making me laugh a bunch. You guys were doing impressions, kind of like I. That's like the only movie that when you first released your dartboard, I had seen. So I didn't, you know, I wasn't necessarily affected by the fact that I couldn't watch it because I had seen it and remembered it fairly well. Um, my dad would always do that voice all the time. <laughs> like not all the time, but like occasionally he would bust it out. And, and then, you know, it was on South Park. And I think after the South Park episode happened, I went and watched it. And, you know, I don't remember it being that difficult. I probably rented a DVD or something, but. Do you remember being like it's okay, or do you think you really liked it at the time? Um, yeah, uh, no, it's it's generally an okay movie. It's kind of it's definitely longer than it probably needs to be. 
Well, so as I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, this was our first Bullseye. So it's our first Friends Choice movie. Um, we obviously did not have this on the board previously. This is Eric's choice. So Eric, what made you choose this movie? Well, if you mess with the bull, you're going to get the horns, Drew. And uh, <laughs> okay. I had to I had to throw you guys for a loop here. You know, I thought you've been picking all the movies. You don't. I wanted one of my goals was like get a movie that you have no idea what it's going to be. Hopefully, you guys went into it without reading much about it. Like, didn't really know like what the genre was or anything. Because I think with movies like this, that's kind of the best way to do it. I knew um, nothing about this movie aside from who was in it. I had to when I was like making the pick on Amazon Prime to watch it. You know, it's trying to like avert my eyes. I could see that like it was going to be creepy, but that's pretty much all I knew. I knew Jesse Eisenberg was in it and it was going to be eerie creepy. That's it, though. Everything else was fresh. Yeah. Okay. perfect. Well, you know, not an easy task finding movie that neither of you guys had seen or heard of. Um, So that was kind of my goal. I mean, Drew did mention when he first told me about the bullseye concept that I could like force you guys to an episode on Donnie Darko. And that was tempting. But I mean, Drew and I have already talked about that movie a lot. I've seen it like three times. Like I wanted to do something a little bit more fresh and interesting than that. So um, I found this movie just randomly scrolling on Amazon Prime. I'm pretty sure maybe it was Netflix. I guess it was probably if it was on Prime now, it was probably on Prime a year ago. Um, But Carter and I were just kind of like last minute looking for a movie to watch. Carter is Eric's girlfriend for for uh, context. Shout out to Carter, one of the uh, <laughs> other esteemed listeners of this podcast. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we just, you know, sometimes you look at lists. Sometimes you have a list you reference when you're looking at movies. Sometimes you have a podcast that you reference. Uh, but in this case, we were just scrolling, trying to find something quick uh, that fit our criteria. I think it was like a recent edition or something. And right. um yeah, I like, I mean, we'll get into Jesse Eisenberg later, I suppose. But, uh, you know, I'd seen enough of movies that he was in that were good to be like, okay, this can't be that bad or he probably would be in it. He does He does pick really interesting projects generally. Like whether they're good or not is like he's at least picking like artists. He's picking people that are going to do something interesting, if not great. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I was curious, too. You kind of mentioned it when you said it was probably in the recently added section i was thinking like was this a product of the algorithm you know did your amazon know your taste and suggest it but it sounds like it likely was just like oh we've got this now and kind of put it at the front and center sort of thing you know yeah let's not give bezos too much credit on that one yeah fuck the amazon algorithm is garbage for that kind of shit anyway yeah they couldn't recommend this to eric this must have just been coincidence you know um how long ago did you watch this the first time uh i'd say like nine months ago Okay, so pretty recently. Okay, cool. Yeah. It came out in 2020. That is another thing I actually really dig about the choice for us to talk about is we don't really have a lot of movies from just like the last couple years. Like I'm proud of our list, but it's a lot of classics. And like I think the earliest movie is like maybe like five, four years ago. That was an early critique of of the podcast from Eric when I sent him the first episode was he was like, it's cool, but not enough uh, new movies. Yeah, he's making good on it, dude. And it's and yeah, I think it's just sweet that we have something that's available, unlike Sling Blade. It's something that people could watch if they have Prime. Yeah. And again, it was recently made and it's also tackling a lot of uh, issues that a lot of people 
around yeah. our age and beyond it. Or kind no, of it is it is very specific to our generation, and I'm excited to kind of dig into that stuff. I think we should lead off the conversation. Uh, we haven't done this on previous episodes. I kind of just thought this was implied, but I think it's worth saying up front that we are going to spoil this movie from top to bottom. Um, so if you're going to listen to this podcast, you're better off watching the movie before uh, you know listening to the episode. But you know, you do you. If you want to listen to it and get spoiled, that's cool too. Um, yeah, some people are normal and they're not as like spoiler phobic as I am. But uh, but yeah, it's, the the podcast is designed that you've seen it. But like Drew said, it's up to you. Available on Amazon Prime should be relatively easy to find. Yeah, available on Amazon Prime to stream for free if you if you're on there. So um, yeah, go check it out. It's worth a watch. But let's dig into the movie here. I mean, I, I think first off, let's just talk about general opinions. I think uh, Jared, why don't you kick off? Uh, what was your overall feeling on Vivarium? I liked it a lot. I liked it a lot. I had a couple of like minor quibbles with it, but nothing to take me out of how 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 beautifully like strange and horrible it was. And it's a really good looking movie too, but it's a really unique premise. And I was gonna mention this too. Like I don't really like horror movies in the traditional sense of like, let's say like a slasher flick or something that's got like a bunch of jump scares in it. And I saw after like cheap, I watched the movie. You don't like movie, cheap horror. I don't like, and I get like, I, part of it is because they're so effective for me. Like a startle scare in a movie like really throws me for a loop. And when they build the tension a lot, it like really gets to me. And, I'm, and part of me might be like, I don't like feeling that way. Fuck you. But um, I do kind of have an appreciation for horror films that are not really working in that currency. They're building on kind of creepiness and atmosphere and dread and claustrophobia and like things like that. I mean, Drew and I are both Eric, have you have you seen the movie The Thing? I don't think I have. Oh, you would fucking I, love well, the thing. That Drew and I are both super fans of that movie. And that movie, uh, don't get me wrong, there are some jump scares in the movie, but I think it's the reason it works is much much bigger than that. And so I've always liked horror movies that, are, again, are, are working towards something else other than just a, someone jumps out of the shadows. But I don't think I've ever seen a horror movie that I liked this much that had not a single jump scare. Like, there are it's a true. lot of surprises in this movie, but uh, never once was there something popping out of the shadows in a musical cue that startles you. Like, this movie's operating on a different wavelength. And after I saw the movie and I was kind of reading up on its reaction and what people thought of, I was very surprised at people saying, and I think even the filmmaker himself was saying that he felt like it was a sci-fi movie first and a horror movie second. I kind of see it in the flip. I, I My personal reaction to it was it was a horror movie first, kind of sci-fi movie second. Not that it's important to put things in what is bigger genre versus the other but to me that the stuff that was really effective was kind of the sense of dread the way it it the movie looked visually particularly the neighborhood and the sky above the neighborhood mm -hmm. and we'll get into kind of more specifics about the visuals when we get to it but i thought it was a really good horror flick and i loved that i went into it not knowing a lot yeah. and it was kind of like um i I was, I'll just say this right out the gate. I was super happy that they didn't make some dumb decision to stay, you know, like in terms of like how the characters get trapped, mm. like 
They drive in, they see the house, the guy disappears, and they're like, let's get the fuck out of here. And they just can't leave, obviously. Yeah. But I'm so glad they didn't like, well, the bed's kind of nice or some stupid reason for staying around longer than they should. I do think that the movie at times, uh, the characters are doing things that are dumb where I'm just like, okay, come on. Like, but, but I, I see what you're saying. I think that the setup works yeah. in that way. Yeah. There's, they, they don't egregiously linger. Right. You know how a lot of like, and again, more towards the types I'm, I'm kind of panning a little bit like this sort of like, um, slasher type flicks. You just see people make ridiculous choices over and over. Yeah. And it's like, you should have left like runtime in this movie, like 40 minutes ago. What are you doing still there? Like they, the, I, this movie for me didn't fall into that category. Like they they want a house. This guy's kind of yeah. creepy, but all right, we're probably not going to go, but we'll just go check it out. And then they just try to leave and they can't. I just like that. No, I'm they, with you. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I think yeah, yeah. I, I agree. I, I generally respond a lot more to the horror movies that are more about atmosphere and tone than they are about, um, you know, directly scaring you with like, like just things that are horrific, you know, I think, I think stuff that's unsettling to me is more interesting than the stuff that's horrific. Um, so I think this movie falls into that category for sure. I think I overall, I think reflecting on it, I like it more in retrospect than I did when I was watching it even. So I've watched this now like one and a half times. Like I watched, you know, all the way through last night and me, Eric came over to my place and we watched it last night. So that was fun. Um, yeah, I want to ask about I want to ask about that when we in a second, yeah so. yeah yeah absolutely but yeah we watched it last night and I think like I there were there was a lot that I really really dug about it but it hadn't fully like it hadn't fully worked for me um, I think there the I think the the big issue that I have with this movie and we'll get to kind of the specifics of this as we dig into it more but um, I think that this movie is like three quarters of the way there. I think like mm. a lot of the allegorical stuff and kind of the, you know, the commentary stuff or as far as, you know, parenthood and what, what is being a parent in our generation and like, you know, as a millennial or, you know, I think that kind of stuff is really, really interesting. And I, and I kind of think that the, the thread gets lost when the, when the movie starts to dig into the more overtly, um, sci-fi horror-y stuff. Um, speaking mm-hmm. specifically about I, the moment I think it kind of jumps the shark, even though it's a cool moment, is uh, like when the uh, the boy has like the alien like, you know, puffer thing on his neck. Yeah. Like that is wild and it's fucking unsettling. And I and I, it, I was hor- horrified by it for sure. But you had some nightmares. <laughs> yeah, I, I, def- well, I think Drew saying his nightmares were more in the, the first before that were more t- tapping into his nightmares a, a little bit. But no, no, I think I mean, that that imagery is incredibly gross and fucked, fucked yeah. up. So I, I appreciate it on that level. But at the same time, I think that it it undercuts the messaging of the movie a little bit. And I think the thread gets lost a bit. So I think the back end of the movie doesn't work for me nearly as much as the, the setup for everything. But I do, I did overall really enjoy this movie. Um, yeah. Eric, how did you feel about it on like rewatch? Yeah. Um, there were definitely some things I picked up on or either, you know, forgot about or whatever that I saw, like kind of keyed in on a little bit more specifically the beginning. Um, I didn't really remember. The, the are you part. talking about with the birds? Yeah, like the cuckoo, you know, kicking, yeah. kicking out the two little, you know, baby birds out of the nest, and then 
that kind of opens up to us meeting Imogen Poots, like the main character, explaining that to a little girl and her mm-hmm. take on that, you know, of, well, that's just how it is. Um, or whatever she says exactly. But. And she's like, she's like, uh, I don't like the way it is, or I want, I want it to be different. I do want to, yeah. they build their own nest. I do want to mention real quick. So I read a bit of trivia on that scene specifically. So, um, this is pulled from IMDb trivia. I have no idea how true this is, but I thought it was really interesting. It said the opening sequence displays the activities of an avian brood parasite, which are organisms that rely on others to raise their young. The brood parasite manipulates a host, either the same or another species, to raise its young as if it were its own, using brood mimicry, for example, by having eggs or pudgy weird babies that resemble the hosts. This behavior relieves the parasitic parents of the investment of rearing young. Some bird species mitigate the risk of of egg loss by distributing eggs among a number of different hosts. So, like, it's, it's kind of, you know, setting up the whole story with that scene. For sure. And I heard I heard the director say in an interview that one of the gems of this idea for this story that he co-wrote with a friend of his was they saw a Richard Attenborough documentary about the cuckoo bird mm. that Eric mentioned. And um, I guess the mimicry goes so far as not only is the spotted eggs, but they also imitate the sound that that bird's babies makes so that the, the, the mother bird will feed that bird that's awesome and mimicry is obviously a huge part of how the story developed absolutely um but yeah eric i i agree that like because i just did a second rewatch today and there's all stuff you pick up in the beginning like when he takes his little shovel and buries the bird Mm -hmm. and it's just like oh shit that means so much more the second time around yeah I was like so, jotting yeah. down a bunch of notes at the beginning. <laughs> what about what what else about your kind of reaction on second viewing there, Eric? Um, I said I I enjoyed it, you know, about the same. Like it didn't lose anything. It didn't really like, you know, make me think it was like best of all time category or anything like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I I was looking at it through a different lens of oh, I'm doing a podcast about this movie, <laughs> which I don't think I've ever done with a normal, you know, throwing a movie on. So obviously it was different from that regard. But another thing I noticed on the second watch uh, was just kind of the context of this being, you know, in, in a lot of ways, a horror movie about the, the real estate market. And when I first Ooh, watched this movie, I had not started looking for a house. And then I just closed on a house about a month ago. So I've spent the past six months, you know, looking intensely for a house. Um, I never, you know, considered moving out to suburban hell. But uh, this this movie kind of helps me, you know, reassure me that I made the right decision in not doing that. That's really interesting that that's like the message you you pulled from this because I took a completely different message, but I I, I don't think that either is wrong. I, they're just different. So like yeah. I'm, I'm fascinated. So what what else do you see in the movie that's kind of pointing at the suburban like hell allegory? Oh, just the same houses. Well, no. Oh, well, obvi- I mean, other than the obvious, I'm saying you know because obviously like the 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 design of the neighborhood itself is meant to be like horrific. It's it's terrifying. Yeah. And I mean, well, I mean, that's what got them into this predicament in the first place. And I think, you know, you one could see the movie as a couple 
decides to leave the city and move into suburbia and have a child together and this is what happens and it's hell and uh i mean obviously there's more to it than that so i mean okay let me just do this really quick if i can i wrote down a a couple different like one line quick descriptors of what this movie is and they're all very different from each other so we'll just use that as the first one horror movie about the real estate market um next one being uh this film was brought to you by planned parenthood (laughs) (laughs) that one that's my that's my main one but yeah go ahead we can go back to these but i just want to run down the list Mm -hmm. um a cautionary tale about giving salesmen your time (laughs) if if you're too nice to a salesman this is what can happen you're gonna be trapped into a hellscape before you know it yeah Yeah. and you know i'm a self-aware salesman so i mean i I know what what's down that road if you're too nice to a salesman um and uh, you know because with that one specifically they weren't really interested in this house they really just got roped Mm. into going to see it they didn't even it didn't seem like they even planned to go look at this place they just kind of no, wandered totally. in and the next thing they knew they were there mm-hmm. um okay another the next one is a character study of new parents trapped in suburban hell i guess that's kind of the same one it's a little bit yeah, of the then, first two yeah yeah and then this last one an example of the big machine chewing you up and spitting you out yeah yeah absolutely yeah. dude i think i i want to circle back to the one you mentioned about you know, Planned Parenthood. Well, just Parenthood I, in general. Yeah. Yeah. So it's fascinating. You mentioned the Planned Parenthood thing because I saw an interview with the director, Lorcan Finnegan, who's he's Irish. And apparently I didn't know this, but I guess at the time when this script was written, abortion was still illegal in Ireland. So I think that's very much, you, you know, you mentioned the Planned Parenthood thing. I think that's very much kind of baked into that of like we see these characters who just get saddled with this child they did not plan on having at this time and we see the kind of the hell that they're in so i definitely think i think all of the things you listed are legit and i agree with all of them but that i thought that one was really cool uh because obviously i was seeing in the film the miseries or the the, the downfalls of parenting or like the 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 negatives of it are so clearly on display. Mm-hmm. But I love that you mentioned the specific when you said plan B, like when I watched it, I didn't make that connection and it took me seeing the interview out of context to piece it together. So I think it's really cool that you kind of, you kind of caught that. It's, it's, it's like, interesting. Uh, we do need, we do need some kind of like, you know, some protection here, or whatever <laughs> it is. I think, I think it's really interesting that we're, we're kind of all taking different things away from this a little bit. Cause I think I leaned even harder into the way that this movie was presenting the idea of uh, like, l- yeah, like accidental parenthood when you're not sure if you like want kids and like, as someone who I've said on this show before, like, I don't want kids. Like I, that's not in my future. That's not what I'm like trying to do. And so like, when I watched this movie, when I watched this movie, I was seeing like the horror of like what it is to have a kid and be, be saddled with that without wanting that or without choosing that on your own. And like how fucking scary that is. And like the way that that child then like, completely like takes every like 
bit of bandwidth in your life is now devoted to that yeah. kid. And there's no more you anymore. There's just the kid. And like food doesn't taste as good. And like the, you know, the, the, everything looks plain and boring because you're stuck in the yeah. suburban hell, as you said. And like, you know, it's, it, I think I was, I was really feeling, you know, a response of, of revulsion at the idea of having kids in this movie. <laughs> Yeah. Well, you actually hit a point I wanted to ask. I have it here. I'll kind of strike it from the list. So you said this movie didn't change your mind. You still don't want to have kids? You know, it really didn't. Uh, believe it or not. Okay. Yeah. That's a that's a curveball. I thought really this was going to make you change, change your mind. <laughs> you know, um, it, yeah. really, when the kid is dancing in front of the the beams of the car, I, I fell in love with the that's kid. Right. I couldn't I couldn't help. I it. can't believe you even found a semi positive moment. You're right. That is kind of. <laughs> For a second, it's not horror, and then it quickly he becomes a dick again, as per usual. Per usual, like you know, do you remember when we when we saw those commercials uh, in New Zealand where they would like they're like PSA commercials, yeah, right? They and always like, had them on. Uh, someone would come in, storm, and I never saw these in the states, by the way. I don't know if they're maybe. I just by the way, them. for the audience, all three of us studied abroad in New Zealand at different times, or or me and Jared at the gotcha. same time, and then Eric the year after. I did, okay, I forgot that. So, so yeah, in New Zealand, they had these public service announcement commercials where, like, there would be a crying baby in a crib, and, like, the father would come in, like, just frustrated, and then the ad would just come up and just, like, never shake a baby. And then it was, I was watching these and kind of laughing. It's like, why would you ever shake a baby? And then this movie kind of drills in the scenario where you could see it happening and be like, what do you want? I fed you. Like, you have everything you need. Why are you screaming? You know? Yeah. And uh, it definitely it definitely hammers those downsides home super well. And it makes me wonder. I did a tiny bit of research on the director, like I mentioned. But what I don't know is whether or not he has kids. I'm curious if (laughs) if he has kids and he's like this. This is this is the bad side of it. This is the nightmare side of it. Or if he's like, I don't fucking want that shit. Look how bad it would be. And I, I I could find out easily, but that seems kind of boring. I think it's more fun to just guess at, you know. Yeah. But I, I was that was one of my biggest questions, was like, uh, does this person have kids? So this is like kind of relaying personal experience, you know. But it, yeah, definitely, definitely makes it seem uh, not glamorous, <laughs> you know. Not that child rearing ever seemed that way. But yeah, with the whole kid thing, um, I, it was. I feel like they kind of made a point to have these scenes where Imogene Poots was sort of just like embracing, you know, the hand she was dealt and like kind of enjoying being with her quote unquote kid. Um, Well, her like motherly instincts started kind of kicking in. Yeah. And oh, that's interesting. I take that a different way, but sorry, continue. Well, they would, it would be this cycle of like, you know, Jesse Eisenberg's ignoring her out in the hole and so she's kind of just having to, you know, make the best of hanging out with this kid and, oh, it's not so bad. But then all of a sudden he does something really inhuman and her reaction is always, I am not your mother. Yeah. Yeah. No, they, I mean, it's, it is interesting to watch her make that turn and then, you know, get brought back to reality like that. Um, Jared, what was your read on it? Because you said you had a different read. I took it a different way. I thought she was playing the game. So she see, she she gets the child in the box, which I want to talk about that reveal at some point. It's one of my favorite scenes in the movie. But she really, I feel like it's from her perspective that we see the note that raise the child and you'll be released. So I think at a certain point, 
she thinks that her best way out is to actually be a mother to this creature. Mm. Um, which, which I, when I first saw the movie and I'm going through it, not what's going to happen when, when those scenes, when Jesse Eisenberg like lashes out, like pretty much body checks the kid to the pavement and that at, when he trips him up in the dancing scene and wants to starve him, like I'm kind of on her side in a lot of ways where I'm like, no dude, your only way out is to fucking raise this kid. Like that's your only escape. So I was I kind of saw when she's being really motherly and playful with this child. And again, child in air quotes. Like Eisenberg says a lot, that's not a boy. This is some fucking mutant alien, as we find out. Um, but I think she's kind of trying to con him a little bit and is kind of trying to play the game that she's been dealt. Uh, but even as I'm saying the words out loud, it does sound kind of like a metaphor. Well, but I think she's kind of like thinking, okay, if I... Do this successfully. I can, really. I can leave. I think that's maybe. I, th- I think she's, especially when she's like, trying to get the impressions out of the kid, and she's clearly like, dialing it up to get the information that she needs. Well, there absolutely that scene, the scene yeah. where they reveal the the neck, you know, bubble shit. I don't know what yeah. what the hell you would even call it, um, but when they reveal it's like frog frog gills. That, or yeah, that's that's kind of what it is, but. Um, when they reveal that, I, that's obviously her doing that. Like, I, I'm not disagreeing with you there. But yeah. I do think that earlier on, you know, a little bit out of, like, going crazy in the house, but also I think just out of, like, a need for some sort of, like, you know, some humanity in her life, I think she starts to find herself falling into those instincts of, like, I need, I should yeah. take care of this child because it is... It, look, it, at the end of the day, she's looking at a child and like when you see Jesse Eisenberg body slam a child into the pavement, like I think any person who has any sort of parental instincts would probably like react extremely like, like I think anyone should like in that moment, like react with at least your gut reaction being a child is being harmed in front of my eyes, you know? Yeah. And so I'm not, I'm not saying it's like even like gendered. It's just like, there are parental no. instincts of like, I need to pr- protect a child, you yeah. know? I think it's really cool too, the movie to like show her as someone who's childless when we first meet her and, and actually remains childish. But, um, she, uh, we see that she's good with kids because in the beginning of the movie, we get a glee, we get a really brief kind of snapshot of her dealing with her students and and talking to her students after class. So we see that this this character does have sort of parental instincts in them. Like they're they're certainly drawn to this line of work that they're in for a reason and we see it showing up in her relationship with the boy, quote unquote, whatever, whatever we want to call him. But I I like what you're saying and I think we're kind of finding it the three of us together is a little more checkered than either of us saw it. Like I don't think I'm exactly right. I don't think it's that she's playing the con all the time because you're right. We get those scenes where Jesse Eisenberg locks the boy in the car and she like can't take it. And again, for on first viewing, I'm on her side in that moment too, because I think her way out is to for this child to live. Yeah, but I guess yeah, I'm just saying know, like it's, it's less practical it. thinking; it's more emotional thinking in in some of those moments. I see what you're saying. Yeah, especially again when the kid gets thrown yeah. down to the ground. I don't know what's your like, read on that, Eric. Well, I, I think you see it too in the scene where she like gets in the crib with him, like in his little bed, and like lays with him. 
you know, and, and he even kind of cuddles her and she sort of likes it. Like it, I think she's just kind of making the best of the situation. Right. And you know, there are those motherly instincts there. And so I think she's just kind of like, well, this isn't so bad. I, you know, I'm just, it's going to help us yeah. to do what we're supposed to do and take care of them. I might as well enjoy it, but then he'll do something really inhuman, you know, like start doing his little mimicking thing or scream. And then that's where she kind of snaps and is like, I'm not your fucking mother and draws that line of like, no, you know, I'm taking care of you, but I'm not your mother. We've had this experience before on the show where, you know, we, we watch a movie the first time and maybe we kind of have a lukewarm kind of reaction to it initially. And then as we talk about it and we have the conversation, it starts to open up and get more interesting. And I think, you know, I think this movie, like, this this movie is a perfect kind of tie back to something we've brought up a lot on the show as well, which is I don't care if a movie is quote unquote like good or bad if it's being done by someone who is clearly an artist who is trying to do something interesting. You know, like I'd rather watch a bad, interesting movie over a good, boring one any day. And, you know, like, like I would take this movie over the, the you know, mediocre Marvel trash any day. Oh yeah, not even close. I would take this movie over the Marvel trash, and again, again, average Marvel trash. Yeah, I mean, there's great Marvel. If it for was, sure, if but... it was forty percent worse, it's good trash. Than it is, there is good trash. Sometimes the slop tastes good. <laughs> of course, dude. I like IHOP. Sometimes Marvel movies are like IHOP for movies. You know, sometimes that's what you're in the mood for. But I would say I, I agree with what you're saying, Drew. It's like. This movie is something interesting. It's tapping into emotions we've felt in other films, but it's exploring it in a really unique way that's 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 kind of fresh and different. Yeah. And that's that's really valuable to me. Well, let's talk about the kid, because I mean the kid is like the highlight of the movie, in my opinion, in terms of just how horrific this shit is. Eric, when you saw this movie the first time, like it, it the it's a visceral reaction for me when that voice first comes out of his his mouth. Like I I my whole body kind of like can like cringed a little bit when that happened. How did you feel the first time you saw it? Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, that's like one of the scariest, creepiest moments of the whole movie to me is like, okay, this is a demon child, like not even a demon child. He's like an alien. I love that this movie doesn't even dance around it too. It just like right out of the gates. It's like, this kid is fucking weird. He's like staring all creepy at them when they're in bed together. Yeah. And you don't know if he's oh. even gone left the room ever, you know, at that point. It's just Oh, oh yeah, he's yeah, he's watching them like have sex. He's just such a creep. And I love like, you know, if you think about the choice of like that voice, yeah, that throws us all off and is so jarring. It's not that it's an inherently creepy voice. It's just like it's the voice of a grown man imitating a child. Well, I think what they're doing, so like if disturbing. we're talking literally in terms of the sound design, I think what they're doing is taking the child's voice and the like adult actor doing a kind of a child's voice, you know, and blending the two so that it's like it's almost like, you know, the mix of a 10 year old and a 40 year old pretending to be a 10 year old. Yeah. And it's so it's so off putting. And it is so, again, the first time you hear it, like you guys are saying, it's just like, oh, that is just so wrong. And it just strikes such a, again, that's so, to me, is so much more valuable than, say, a jump scare. 
Like that's something that's really unsettling. That voice coming out of that body. And I got to watch Drew's reaction to it. I was just gonna <laughs> say. Was I was just gonna say, Jared. I was gonna ask you, did you watch this with anyone? Because I feel like this is a great yeah. movie to watch with other people. My roommate, my roommate half watched it, and she she does not like scary movies, but uh, she was kind of like on her phone and kind of watching a little. And she, she, I think she liked it. At one point, she was like, I knew it was aliens. You know, so she so was like, I was, I'm one of those things. It's like, you know, if you're watching movies with someone who's like on their phone. Yeah. And you don't really know how much they're ingesting because they. That's always you know, a frustrating experience for me because so I'm like, I, I, I really want to make sure that you're getting all of this and that you're enjoying it. But that's just my yeah. hyper, like, controlling, you know, obsessive side. Well, it's like, are we watching this together or are you, are you in three that's different worlds point, right yeah. now? Uh, but I think um, I think with uh, I wanted to ask Eric earlier, actually, with you seeing it with Drew last night and it's your second time, and it's Drew's first time. What were those moments where you kind of like t- took a took a look out of the corner of your eye? If you knew something fucked up was kind of coming to kind of see his reaction. Do you, I would imagine it was when the voice came. Was yeah, one I of feel them, like they, they, they mostly centered, centered around the kid being creepy. And then, yeah. I mean. I think the best coolest scene in the movie is where, you know, you've been kind of just seeing this house and yeah, it's, it's a little bit off putting and sci-fi and, you know, they can't escape and all that. But then all of a sudden he like lifts up the curb and they go into that alternate dimension. And like that part is so crazy. So like I was just waiting for that the whole time. And then like looking over at you during that, because that to me like is, is the best part of the movie. Yeah, I, I really dug that scene. I like the the you know, and I like that they um they don't overdo it. You know, mm-hmm. it's it it takes like five minutes and you know, they do that scene, but then they get back to like everything else. It's not like like it's a departure, but it because it doesn't take over the movie, it doesn't feel like it's gone completely off the rails. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, because I like Eric, you might know from listening and and, and Drew knows this for sure. Like I tend to not like excessively flashy camera work. Um, and, but this, but if, when it fits, I love it and it fits for that it kind of built up because yeah, the, the movie, it, it is beautiful, but it's, it's, like she's getting sucked into like you remember in the Matrix movies where they go to those hallways in between the rooms. It's kind of like one of those like it's like this weird like one of those surreal paintings where you're always going up the stairs and she's kind of falling through it. Mm-hmm. So like I like camera shit like that when when the situation calls for it and I think it totally called for it here. And I was having so much fun like trying to recognize like how are how are the people she's seeing seeing her? Like, is she really there? Like, is she really falling through these places? Or, like, there's a form of her spirit passing through? Like, I just couldn't tell. But specifically, when she sinks through that floor in front of that mother who's crying at the table, like, I don't know how they did that, It, but it's a, an amazing visual. Yeah, it's it looks like really one cool. after the other in that sequence. It reminded me of uh, some of the scenes from Eternal Sunshine, you know, when, when he's kind of, like, getting the memories blurred together and he's in those different memories, but then, you know, they get all sort of melty and weird. Yeah. It reminded me of that, which is like, I I mean, that's one of my favorite movies too. I love that kind of stuff. 
Yeah, it kind of um it, it also has some like being John Malkovich in there. It's oh, got yeah. some it's got some like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory or like Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, like when they're going through the tunnel, you mm-hmm. know, it's got some of that yeah. like the color kind of blurring and you know shit. Um I, I was thinking Inception too. Some of that. Like, some yeah, Inception like shit I mean I, I Chris Nolan stuff. I it's really like I I mean I, I, w- while we're saying that it, it looks like it's pulled from a lot of that stuff, it does feel unique in itself too. Like I think it is yeah, a unique definitely. trip visual uh, that and hasn't been color, done before. Like kind of the color coordination of the different. Yeah, rooms. but I mean, I think I think you guys highlighted yeah. the you know the her sinking into the floor thing. I mean that that to me like the way that they they show that it, it almost looks like a blend between like claymation or something, you know, it's like, it's like got some yeah. weird, like, you know, kind of, I don't, I don't even know how to describe yeah, it. Yeah. Do you remember that? Remember we had that like Sandy Play-Doh. It was like a Play-Doh variant when we were kids, yeah. like spongy. It looked like she was sinking into that. Mm-hmm. I was like, how, like, I don't, I just don't know how they did it. And it looked amazing. And what I like about it is the movie is not hinging on the sequence. This is just like, like if, if, I think we all loved that sequence, but if someone watched it and didn't like it, that's not going to make them dislike the movie. It's not like the whole movie is this kind of bananas, crazy camera work. It's used specifically when the moment calls for it in like a 90 second window, maybe maybe two and a half minutes. And then in, the movie moves on. No, so that like, was actually I like when stuff's used with restraint, you know? Yeah. I'm glad you brought up the, the camera work because, yeah, like you're saying, like it's not flashy in any way. Um, no. It's very controlled. He he locks off the camera all the time. The very like minimal movement of the camera. He's it's very like kind of Wes Anderson-y in that way. Um, a lot of like you know uh, symmetry in his frames too. The way that that Anderson does. So um, definitely got a little bit of that influence. But yeah, I just I, I really like. I mean, let's. I, I this might be a good spot to just talk about just the look of the movie in general. Yeah, I think I think, I think it's so. just a, a really good looking movie. I think what I really appreciated about the look of this movie is that you can tell that this movie was made on a really small budget, but it's not, it doesn't feel cheap because they're going so, um, dreamlike with it, I guess. Like it, because they're, because it's like this heightened reality, they can get away with being more cartoony and less like hyper real and, and, and dense, like, you know, uh, and where like, you know, I feel like a lot of other smaller budget movies are trying to achieve some amount of scale that they can't pull off because this movie looks like a fucking Lego set or like Monopoly houses. Like they can get away with the fact that it's only taking place in basically one studio that they shot this whole movie in. Yeah. As soon as they drive into that neighborhood, you're like, this does not look real, you know? And yeah. you would think that they would notice that, but I guess it was kind of more gradual and we're seeing the, you know, the sped up transition of it, but I mean, I'm sure that like my read on it was that this movie just lives in a different reality that isn't like it doesn't adhere to our our laws. And so like, therefore, they're not realizing that it looks weird because it doesn't look weird to them in their world. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I think it was one of those things like they turn into the neighborhood and there is that stark change. They drive by the, the sign. That has like whatever your home forever or whatever yonder and the clouds never and near yonder enough and far enough you're already <laughs> yeah. home you're already home and when they drive through that the clouds are still normal above them but they take that first left turn and the cameras from like POV from the car from remembering it right and you just see the sky change and we descend into that sort of cartoonish world that we're talking about 
And I feel like the characters kind of share a look where I think they're like, well, this is fucked. I think they recognize that it's weird. But who who would imagine that you're driving into the scenario that they are? So I take it a little more literally than you say, do Drew. Uh, but I, I, I could see the other side of that for sure. But I, I want to just echo what you both are saying. I think that you look at it when they're driving down and it's just the the sky looks as it is and the houses look like they do. It doesn't look good. And it the film is using that to its benefit. Mm-hmm. Like it looks off. It looks artificial. It doesn't look right. And normally that's a negative, but it's so cool that it's baked into the premise of this movie and it's baked into what we're watching that it's good that it looks a little fucked. It, it, it's good that it looks like Beast Wars it or something of like that. It doesn't me, look right. It kind of read to me like like a Rick and Morty episode where like aliens are creating their idea of what a human, you know, town would look like, you know, and like this is their representation of that. That's kind of how I read it was like, you know, especially like once you get the reveal of, of you know, that there's some like alien God that's overseeing this whole fucking operation um, like that, I think is is kind of playing into that read of of like you know, this is what it would look like to someone who is trying to replicate humans as opposed to actual humans building it. Yeah. Yeah. And they're constantly teasing you with like the, you know, are we going to show you behind the curtain? Um, Cause you know, a movie like Truman show does show you behind the curtain. This one never really does other than yeah. like that scene where you're kind of going through the realities, but that's not really behind the curtain in terms of the alien that's controlling it or, you know, whoever's up at the no, I, up the bridge of this ship. I think I think that's a true that's such a good point. Like we get teased. Like there are these people interacting with the kid with the throat things, but we don't know what they are. And when he dives under, we probably think that we're getting literally the peak behind the curtain underneath the tar. And you're right, we don't get it. Yeah. No, it's it's really cool. I I like how this movie kind of reveals itself, but um the I wanted to to hit on the special effects because again, like I, I like that they went low budget and kind of you know not not like pretty and refined with the special effects. Like I, I'm thinking of when he throws the cigarette butt at the kid and it lands on the grass and it burns the hole in it. They clearly did yeah. that with like stop motion, you know, claymation kind of style of like you know remove a little bit, take a picture, remove a little bit, take a picture kind of thing. Like it it it's you know. It, it's so like lo-fi the way they pull it off, but I just, I like that they went lo-fi with it because it just plays yeah. into the weirdness of the world that they're in. Dude, totally. And when you, when at the end of the movie, when the grown version of the alien buries them both in the yard, they use a different technique for when the grass grows back over that patch. It's like CGI and it's smoother. So they obviously had the choice to do that in the first moment you're totally. talking about with the cigarette butt. But they chose to go, let's make it look like Gumby or like, um, what was the movie? <laughs> like the claymation series from Wallace England. And you know? Wallace and Yeah, like let's make it look like Wallace and Gromit. Like it's frame. It's all totally. like a Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Um, no, I, I, I love that kind of shit. I, and like, even, you know, when Imogen Poots climbs on the top of the house to, to kind of like see off into the distance, just the way that they do that special effect just looks so just like kind of janky in a way, but in a really like cool, like beautiful way. I don't know. I don't know. 
Yeah, I don't know how to yeah. describe it except it's unique. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and also that's one of the best times, one of Eisenberg's best moments when he climbs to that rooftop because he's just looking at a green screen. And I mean, we'll get to performances soon, I bet. But totally, like that was one of his best because he's just staring out in reality at nothing, like in terms of how he's delivering the performance and what he's actually seeing in real life. But it, he really sells it in that scene that he's just looking at endless houses that are the same and they are fucked. Like you really kind of see the terror in his face there. Yeah. So um, just a couple of little details like that. Um, one of the ones just real quick while we're talking about kind of the theme and the look is I love when they go in the house and the only picture, the only decor in the house is a picture of the house. And then they go up to the bedroom and the picture on the wall is a picture of the bedroom in the bedroom. (laughs) But, and and they show it a couple times. And the second time around, I was like, is there a picture of that picture on the picture? There is not. So I don't know what the significance of that is. But anyways, yeah, the TV, um, (laughs) that's just, I think it's meant to just show you how not human the kid is, you know? It's like this is obviously so far from being human and relatable. And that's they use it to kind of make the point with Imogen Poots about like, okay, yeah, this is not a real boy. Like, I need to draw this line and not, you know, form any sort of attachment to it. Um, but yeah, I mean, that, that was kind of a cool, unique choice. That. Well, the design of it like reminds me. I yeah. mean, me and me and Eric's favorite band is uh, Radiohead, and it reminds me a lot of like some of the stuff that like um, Tom York's other project, Adams for Peace, was doing when they released that album. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of the just very like trippy visual stuff that they would put online, like to to like you know support that stuff. I don't know. It's got that kind of vibe to me. Yeah, I I love the design of that. So so what I took from that is when the kid is from the in front of the TV. Mm-hmm. That's a form of communication, right? Mm-hmm. He's getting messages about what to do next or whatever. And they show the little book so, too. Yeah, and the book has has let has an alphabet, but also has pages that are in the style of the TV's messaging. I think I, I just love the way. It's, I mean, again, it's a lot of work goes into that stuff in designing how exactly that looks. Not only does it look cool, but I think it kind of is saying something about like. How we all can kind of have those moments where we just get kind of hypnotized by television. It doesn't even matter what's on it because it does look kind of like hypnosis, this sort of like kind of rippling lines pulling in and oscillating. For know, sure. So, and it's, and it's definitely cool. it's definitely evoking the you know idea of like how fucking annoying it must be to control a kid who's latched onto a screen, you know? Do you guys want to um dive into the specifics of some of the performances. Yeah, I, I think, think that's a great some time to jump really into fucking this. good ones in here. Um, I think, you know, I mean, if we're talking performances, I guess we have to start with Imogen Poots. Absolutely. I she steals the fucking show. She is fucking awesome. So I, I myself am not super familiar with her work. I didn't, well, I didn't talk know her about name. It. I mean, let's, let's talk about her career because I, I'm a huge fan of hers and she does not get enough big like big projects to work on 
Um, I, I think she's severely underserved by Hollywood so far, but, um, her career, I mean, she kind of got started with 28 weeks later, the sequel to 28 days later, the zombie movie. Um, she plays the, the female child in that she's, I, I don't know, she's probably 14 or 15 maybe when they made that movie. But, um, have you guys both seen that movie? Yeah, I, I saw it, I think right when it first came out and I don't think I've seen it since. So I, I don't really remember like what was different about that one from 28 days later. Other than there's just the continuation, um, and I don't, I don't like, wouldn't have remembered her from being in that. Yeah, I saw Twenty Eight Days Later and liked it a lot, but I did not see Twenty Eight Weeks. Twenty Eight Days Later, I think, is like a masterpiece of the zombie genre. But I, I think Twenty Eight Weeks Later is a super fun sequel. I highly, highly recommend giving it a rewatch. Um, oh God, why am I blanking on his name? Uh, let me look at it real quick. Oh, I know it. Robert Carlyle in that movie is absolutely outstanding. He plays the dad of the of Imogen Poots and her and her her brother, um, who goes to try and save his wife and, and gets bit, but then it becomes kind of the the villain of the movie. Um, and he's Robert. Uh, are you guys familiar with Robert Carlyle? Have you seen any of his work? Train Spotting. He's like the the kind of belligerent. Uh, oh, is he yeah. oh, is he the guy? Big B. <laughs> I can't remember yeah, the character's start, name, but he's the one that's does he like start fighting. They're all scared all the of. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He like someone bumps into him in the bar, and he'll be like, "What the fuck you do?" And he like starts fights. <laughs> that's Robert Carlyle. He's yeah. the only one that doesn't do heroin. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> he's just a drunken bastard. But anyway, that guy, that guy's an amazing actor, and he's really, really good in that movie. Uh, but anyway, that's where her career kind of got started. She was also in the remake of Fright Night, which I'm a huge fan of. It's like a really fun little vampire movie if you're ever just looking for kind of a turn your brain off type movie. Um, also, uh, Anton Yelkin is great in that. And then uh, she was in the uh, Cameron Crowe star series, Roadies. She was one of the main characters in that. Um, she was in a movie called The Art of Self-Defense that was really popular in 2019. Um, and recently she's been on the Josh Brolin Amazon series Open Range that just premiered. So she, you know, she's been working. She, she does a lot of work. Um, I've actually also another one, kind of a, a, a guilty pleasure type movie. It's not even a pleasure because I think it's a really shitty fucking movie. But she's great in a movie called um, That Awkward Moment. Uh, starring Zac Efron and Michael B. Jordan and Miles Teller, which is just a broy comedy from 2014. It's not good, but she's great in it. Mm. Yeah, because I, I really had never heard her name before, and I, I mean, like you're saying, Drew, her career has spanned decades. Yeah. So she started when she was like a kid. Well, and I was looking through her like, like IMDb. Years. Or like, you know, teenager yeah. or whatever. But like, I was looking through her IMDb. I was like, I guess I don't, but I don't, I've just never really seen her. I completely before. failed to highlight her best performance, which is in uh, Green Room. Have you ever seen oh, Green yeah, Room? You love that movie. Yeah, Green I, I've Room seen it. Green Room is fucking gnarly. And anyone who wants to watch just a absolutely unhinged uh, little horrific movie. It's, I wouldn't even call it a horror movie necessarily. It's oh, it's a horror movie. I guess it sure. is. Yeah, you're right. But but it's basically but it's, it's not, more. There's of, no supernatural in it. Well, it's, it's about it's, a band that's being holed up in the green room and is like under siege by Nazis. So I guess yeah. I mean, it's it's more of an action movie. I would say, but yeah, it is it is horrific. And mm -hmm. um, there are some images in that movie that will stick with me for the rest of my life. Um, but she is super fucking good in that movie. Yeah. 
I think, uh, like you said, like she stole, she steals the show, in my opinion, in this movie. And again, from an outside observer who's not really familiar with her work, I was like, who is this person? Like, I need to go see everything she does because mm-hmm. she doesn't stri- like strike a wrong note, and she's given some incredibly emotional scenes like where like she's breaking down crying over the death of her husband and like she's just pulling it off like perfect it just looks so emotional and so real and she's great at every layer in this movie well we'll we'll get for me a revelation i was like she's awesome yeah well and we'll get to my reactions on jesse eisenberg because i was not a big fan of his performance in this but i and but i think she sells his death scene because of how good she is um, mm. I, I, am such a fan of hers. I, I think the other thing that I kind of caught in this movie, she's really, um, she's really channeling Mia Farrow in Rosemary's baby. I felt like in this movie, have you ever, have you guys ever mm. seen that movie? I don't think so. I have not. It's, no. it's a very early, uh, Roman Polanski movie, 1968, um, about a woman who, uh, has a baby and finds out that, uh, the baby is potentially being uh, offered up to Satan. Um, it's a really fucking great movie, uh, despite Roman Polanski being a disgusting piece of garbage. Um, Mia Farrow's performance in that movie is out fucking standing, and she is doing a lot of the same kind of stuff that Imogen Poots is doing in this movie. So anyone who liked this, I highly recommend going to check out Rosemary's Baby. Yeah, I kind of feel like she's sort of the main protagonist. And in, in this movie, like definitely, I, I can't definitely. really imagine anyone watching this movie and identifying with the Jesse Eisenberg character Correct. of just like, I'm going to be a complete dick to my wife and go dig in the dirt for the whole and just ignore everything else. even And not wear I'm a face mask it. when doing it. <laughs> yeah. Like, so I think, you know, everybody's sort of identifying with her and, you know, you're seeing her. I mean, she's very like likable and relatable and. You know, I mean, there's there's times where you're sitting there like, well, being stuck within this suburban, you know, entrapment would be the worst thing ever if you're with Imogen Poots. Like, yeah, <laughs> for sure. She's she's just so she's yeah, she's just so charming. We should also mention that I believe this was her project that she kind of shepherded. So she mm. she is one of the producers. Jesse Eisenberg is also a producer on this. But uh, I read that she. Um, brought the script to Jesse uh, and said, I, yeah. I, I, you know, do you want to, do you want to make this with me? Um, and this was yeah. kind of, so, so yeah, I mean, she's a producer. She, she is like behind this whole thing. So we kind of have her to thank for this as much as we have her to thank for an amazing performance. Yeah. And I think as we kind of transition from her to Eisenberg, I just always really liked those moments specifically early in the movie. And I think, I mean, she's stellar throughout it, but when Eisenberg, I thought, was at his best was when they have those little gestures of, like, we're in this together Mm -hmm. moments. And he does, like Eric is saying, he does get very dickish, and he goes and starts digging his hole and and even boxes her out of that activity for really, I think, a desire to just be alone. I don't know what it's saying about kind of traditional male roles of just needing to go have something to do to get away from, I don't know. But... When they have those moments early on, like after the baby's delivered and then we hear him talk for the first time and we're terrified and we see the height getting marked up after 98 days, this kid's already that high and everything else. They have that moment where like he starts screaming or doing the dog impression running around and he just kind of like holds her hand in these moments 
and I kind of like, and they, and they both initiated at various points of like, we're in this together. And I think like, that's when I really kind of like his performance more is when like, he's like, he's just so downtrodden, but at least they have each other as they're kind of in this mayhem, crazy scenario together. Eric, what'd you think of Jesse Eisenberg? I mean, he's okay. I, I don't know how much of it I blame on him and how much of it's just like the character is, is very unlikable to me and also just like not relatable. You know, it's like, you know, you just burned the, ho- the house down and it came back instantly, but you think you're going to be able to like dig for weeks and get somewhere like they can't just fill this hole in with the snap of a finger, you know, like, come on. You even burned the grass and it grew back instantly. But you think this hole is going to change everything? Like, it's just not... I, I I found a hard time trying to get into those shoes and sympathize with him. And he's also just, like, such a dick to Imogene Pete, uh, Poots. And, you know, when she's trying to meet him halfway and be like, well, can I come dig some? And even though she clearly doesn't want to do that, she's just, just doing it to asshole. try to, like, be a companion to him. And I know that's the character, but I guess like yeah. my feel, my feeling on him was just like, I wanted someone who's more of like a traditionally masculine bro at the at that character, and like I'm not getting that from him because I don't buy for a second that Jesse Eisenberg has ever smoked a cigarette in his life. <laughs> <laughs> Look at the way he fucking smokes them. muscles while he watched yeah. the dig and just Jesse. I did. I I wanted a beefcake. I wanted some visual eye candy. <laughs> <laughs> you want? Did you wanted a Tatum or something? Yeah, give me Channing Tatum. <laughs> Channing Tatum would be fucking perfect. Yeah, I think you both are making good points. Like, I agree with what Eric is saying. Like this guy, like the act, the actions he's taking. First of all, it is dickish, particularly when he boxes her out. And let's not forget, he he kind of pushes her down to the ground and holds her down at that point where he that's really where wants I was to like, lock fuck the this guy. Like that's when he's, but he's clearly like snapping. Like they're all snapping at various points, uh, or both. I should say, you know, the two the two leads. But I think the whole point of the hole in the ground, and I agree, like like the characters' motivations, like it's not a smart thing to do. But like when you get in these hopeless situations, there's something to be said to just have a task something that you feel like you're making progress towards, even if you know deep down that it's not going to work. Like it's still great just read. something to build your day around, yeah, that's which a, a lot read. of us in, in our darkest times do with our jobs. Like we know it doesn't really well, and matter. I think that, that also it's something to do. I think that also <laughs> highlights what Eric was saying as far as like the isolation in terms of, you know, when Jesse Eisenberg is refusing for, for Imogen to help him dig, it's because he's like, no, 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 this is my thing. This is like the thing yeah. I have to escape this. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, um, I also get what you're saying too, Drew. Dude, he, I don't really buy him smoking a cigarette. Like he looks like you know. Have you ever seen your friend, like someone you know who does not smoke, and they occasionally yeah. have a cigarette smoking, but in, like but not inhaling. Yeah, it looks like they're smoking with their off hand. Like it just looks like really strange. It's like, what are you doing with a cigarette in your hand? This is me, like, like the ten times in my life I've smoked a cigarette. I, yeah, I smoke it like a joint, that. and it's just all yeah, wrong. It just looks kind of off, which maybe fits for the neighborhood they're in. But um, but yeah, so I get what you guys are saying. I think for me, I agree. Let me just say, not in love with this performance. It has its moments. I want to be really clear. I like through. Jesse Eisenberg generally. I just don't think he's I do right too. for this part. And I think like 
what I like about Jesse Eisenberg is he's putting his name to a project like this. Yeah. That gets me excited. It's like, okay, yeah. I I have I have some issues with the like I'm not in love with the performance. It's not offensive, but it's not the be- the greatest thing I've ever seen. But I just like that he has a lot of agency in what he chooses to do these days. And he's doing these small things. And I would imagine well, Eric, you mentioned it. When you when we, when you mentioned the story of how you first saw this movie, Jesse Eisenberg's name attached to it meant something. He's like, well, he's not in terrible things. Like this will at least be interesting. Like I like that he's lending his star his star power to these smaller things for probably shoestring rates yep. to elevate them and get because that I bet without his name attached to it, we might not have eventually found our way to it. So I I, I give him a ton of credit for that. Yep. But like Drew mentioned with his death death scene, and I agree that Poots is amazing in that scene. She's really good. But like, and part of it I think too is the writing. I don't. I'm not in love with the writing. No, in that I scene. agree. The, the writing of that bad. scene does not work at all. Doesn't do Eisenberg any favors. No. Yeah. But like, is his death scene is just it's like, oh, you look like you came out of the sun, and that and that's like my favorite part of it. It's still not even good, and like his death scene is just like, eh. And a lot of a lot of his performance felt that way to me. But again, I like that he's signing up to do projects like this when he could do much bigger things, and he's he's bringing interesting shit to our attention. So I owe him a ton of a ton of credit for that. But even like the beginning scene when he's like joking with her, praying yeah. around the bird, like I'm just not really. I don't find it, it funny. Just, it not just funny. doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't connect. Um, yeah. But I mean, I think the, the the most interesting part about the character is the whole thing with the hole, which you know, halfway through the movie, basically becomes the character. I think his breaking point is kind of the scene where they're dancing to the music, and the kid takes him down. Which let's just pause. Do you guys buy that as like this little kid is going to be able to take him down in that, well, that brutal I, of a manner? Like I've got, I've got a couple of questions about that, this movie. And that's one of them, which is like, why did they not do more with the kid has superhuman strength? If that was going to be a bit. Yeah. yeah. Well, I've, I, on rewatch, I was, I had my eyes laser focused because I knew that scene was coming up and I was like, does he push him down? Is it intentional? And I couldn't figure out if it was intentional or in an accident. Obviously, this kid grows into something of a monster. But in the way that scene is shot, I myself didn't think I didn't see clearly that he intentionally tripped Jesse see, Eisenberg. I read up. it as it's clear that they're trying to say this kid is inhuman by the fact that he can take down this guy that easily. Like I oh I thought I thought that was thought another showed, clue at the fact that he's not human. I thought they showed his his inhumanness with the fact that he's smiling after he gets body slammed on the pavement. Well, that too like, ah, for ah, sure. Yeah. yeah, but like I thought he was just kind of like I couldn't tell. Again, I'm not saying he it was an accident. I'm just saying the way it's filmed, I think, is left open, like a lot of this movie is. Yeah. Yeah, that was kind of an interesting. I think that's kind of his character's breaking point to where, like, at, after that point, there's no going back to like him being a good partner, you know, or yeah, for sure, being likable in any way. He suddenly yeah. he, he's completely consumed by his mission to figure out what the fuck is going on. Yeah, um, yeah. But I also wanted to ask that, like, regarding his the hole that he's digging, 
So, I mean, obviously they have the scene where he uncovers that, like a body at the bottom of it. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. this has been predetermined that he's going to dig this hole and be put in it at the end, right? Oh, that's a great question. I don't know. I don't know. Because otherwise, why is he coming across bodies in that exact spot on the lawn? Yeah. And and that to me then brings up other questions, which is like, were they predetermined from the beginning to end up here and have to do this? See, I don't, my, I'm I'm kind of just processing what you're saying. I I like these thoughts. I think the fact that, remember how the movie ends, that new couple who is almost always out of focus enters in. We have our new Martin, who is the son, is replaced. Mm Mm-hmm. That, that to me gives a vibe of like twists of fate. Like these people just get, it's not predestined that they just happen to wander into this. Well, that's why I was confused this, like, by this. It, yeah, yeah, it, it it's felt like, like, it's like a twist. It's, yeah. Yeah, it's more like a spider in the web. Right. So I don't, I don't think he was intended to dig his own grave but, necessarily. But I think that I think the movie was, is saying that though. I don't know. Yeah, because like, there's, there's like an interesting duality between. You know, on the one hand, his little glimmer of hope of this whole getting him somewhere is the only thing keeping him going. But on the other hand, he's literally digging his own grave. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And and I mean, yeah. that's why I'm saying it's predetermined because it's like they're getting the labor done for themselves. And he's he's not only digging yeah. his own grave to be killed and put in it, like the digging literally is what kills him. Yeah, because it's the soil, mm-hmm. right, that kills or him. Like the, that's the, kind of what the, we're led to believe. The dead body that's down there maybe gets him yeah. sick. Mm-hmm. That's yeah, that's probably what it is. Yeah, yeah, because I think they held they they showed they held on a lot of shots of like when he first started digging. There's like a yellowness in the soil, and I thought they were kind of getting across the fact that like the soil is toxic to some degree. But whether it's the body or the soil, I just took that matter. as saying think, this is artificial kind of plastic soil. Gotcha. I think either way, it's the act of digging is somehow what kills him. Yeah. Like that, that seems what makes him sick is, 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 is that digging. Yeah. Well, I, I think it just brings, it brings up interesting questions. I think that because of those kind of questions, the movie's logic doesn't totally hold up, but I think it is, it is interesting. Like it's, it's interesting well, it to ponder. It makes it fun to kick around. Yeah, no, It absolutely. makes it a good Eric movie. Cause we're kicking around. <laughs> like, like as you guys are talking, we're all talking together. Like, New thoughts are coming to my head as we're just discussing it in the moment. It's fun. It makes it for a fun movie. I think after this episode, we're going to start coming across uh, quote unquote Eric movies as we go forward. Definitely. <laughs> definitely. I like this. Oh, this was an Eric one. And again, I'm it's going to be you. a running theme in the show. This was definitely an Eric movie for sure. So <laughs> I like another that. little thing on the grave. You know, you think back to the beginning when he digs the grave for the little birds. And it's like, this is way too shallow of a grave for these little birds. That's and then I literally up, said that. He ends up yeah. in the deepest grave that anyone's ever dug. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> like beyond it's like a full step hole. ladder. He's got yeah. I love that. I love that read. Yeah. We can we can kind of move off of Jesse Eisenberg, but I think you know, a way to kind of move to the next topic is like going back to what we said about Jesse Eisenberg being a guy who picks interesting projects and interesting filmmakers. Let's talk about the filmmaker, Lorcan Finnegan. I've never heard of this guy before. I think Eric, you mentioned that you did a little bit of research on him leading up to this. Yeah. I mean, I, I went on IMDb and I clicked on his name and I quickly <laughs> determined I had not seen any of his other films and uh, nor had I heard of them. 
but you know that might be next on my list it looks like he's about to release a new project soon looks like he had another one from like 2016 so okay. yeah maybe worth checking out i mean this movie is is kind of a standout to me it's unique and interesting absolutely what was your read on him jared yeah he kind of um he kind of wet the palate, so to speak, with this movie. My Also, my first introduction, also never heard of him. And I feel like it was a really, like, I saw things that were familiar in the movie. Like, I think particularly at when, like, um, Eisenberg throws, you know, throws her down to the ground and is kind of wrestling with her. Like, the way that shot reminded me of the scene in Pulp Fiction, the handheld scene when uh, John Travolta arrives with the overdosing Uber Thurman and it's all shot handheld. It kind of, so I was seeing things that's like, oh, I think he's kind of tapping into, he's paying homage to these old school, older movies that have these moments, but it's all in such a unique framework of a story that was really cool. And again, it was not like, it was a steal-a-thon. I didn't feel like he was like riffing a bunch of shit. But I, it left a really strong impression with me, and I was like, I kind of want to see more of this movie. It looks like he borrows techniques here and there. You know, we were mentioning things like Eternal Sunshine and, and other visual techniques when they're called for show up in the movie. But he doesn't seem to hang his hat on that. It's not like he's constantly paying homage. It seems like he's blazing his own trail, but doing his, like, but also doing picking from an existing bag of tricks, I guess. So I was left impressed. Also don't know anything about him, but this makes me want to see more of his stuff for sure. Yeah, absolutely. No, I mean, I'm in the same boat. Um, I, I would be interested to check out some of his earlier stuff, but I'm very interested in his, his new movie. It looks like it's in post-production already. So they already shot it. Um, but it stars Ava Green and Mark Strong, who are both actors that I love and would be really excited to see uh, in a movie like this. So, yeah, and it's a it's a repairing with the writer of this movie. So this movie was um, the story by credit is uh, Lorcan Finnegan and um, this guy Garrett Shanley, who uh, appears to be kind of his his collaborator on all of their projects so far. Um, so yeah, it's the movie is uh, called. Uh, and it, it's no, nocebo, nocebo. I can't, I, I don't know how that's pronounced, but it's N O C E B O. But yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to see what this, this guy does. Uh, I, I think he, he is already proving that he's a fascinating filmmaker that with, that has a, a clear point of view. Yeah. Good shit for sure. And, and one thing about him that I kind of want to just give him credit for on this movie is the music selection throughout the movie is really awesome. Well, yeah, um, I mean, you you are the the music guy from the podcast, so give us give us the music uh, background here. Yeah, so I'm probably as obsessed with music as these two guys are obsessed with movies. Like, if I was going to do a podcast, I'd probably just be like talking about music, and you know, I probably spend as much time going to concerts as. Well, I don't know about that. You guys watch a lot of movies, but just a little anyways. context as Eric's as Eric's friend, I will say Eric is a frugal motherfucker, but he goes wild with music. I go to that, a lot that of is shows. where most of your budget goes, I would say. Yeah. Yeah, that's accurate. Um, my concert <laughs> budget is is a little uh, out of proportion, but um, <laughs> anyways, the the music in this movie uh 
you know, there's a couple scenes that kind of stand out for that. One is like in the car, you know, when they're driving in and it's, it's such like a happy go lucky vibe, which is a classic thing in a horror movie, you know, where, you know, they're having a great time and you, you're sort of getting this sense of dread that the characters clearly aren't feeling. So that's, that's, kind of uh, that's one other critique of Jesse Eisenberg. I do not buy that. That dude listens to reggae. <laughs> well, it, you know, it's, it's white guy hipster. It's reggae. her car. It's her car. It's definitely white guy reggae. You're right. <laughs> it's stop your messing around. Yeah. And again, it's Poots's car. Cause he puts his stuff in her trunk and it's like, Oh, one day I'll have my own van. Good point. Poots listens to reggae for sure. Poots definitely, definitely listens to reggae. Poots, <laughs> yeah, is, that Poots gets cool down. as fuck. Man, I want to fucking smoke a joint and listen to some records with that girl. She looks fun as hell to hang out with. Yeah, she's awesome. <laughs> I'm fucking what, thirsty what, on main right now. Did you guys recognize the credit song? I had never heard this song. Well, yeah, song no, before. Eric, yeah, you mentioned dope. that while we were watching. So that song, like, when I finished the movie, the very first thing I did was, like, I shazam that song while the credits are playing. Uh, it's by a band from the 70s called XTC. And they're really kind of weird and out there. And um, I mean, the the easy way to describe them would be sort of alternative rock, indie rock. Like they're kind of like, I would say like a blur, but way before blur. It kind of it kind of gave but, me like the replacements vibe when I was hearing it. Yeah, definitely. I'd say that's accurate. But they're. Um, they weren't super famous. I mean, they got, they had a record deal. They made albums for like 20 years. Um, but they were famous and they have some music videos and stuff, but they're not like a household name at all that, you know, that I had even heard of. And so that song at the end, um, I think it's called strange game or, or complicated game. It's a complicated game. Yeah. Um, so that was really fitting. I thought, and I went and looked them up and, They've got some crazy music videos and they've just got like there's there's two guys in the band that are kind of the singers that that probably both write songs. And one of them's kind of more your standard handsome front man with a good voice. And the other one's real weird. And when he'll do like backup vocals where he's just going like and like weird little <laughs> stuff like that. So. Check out the music video for uh, Making Plans for Nigel. That's like their biggest hit. And as soon as I found that song, it's like become one of my favorites. So, um, <laughs> yeah, shout out to the director for helping me find XTC because they're really cool. Yeah, I really like this, the score in general. They had this like, remember those shots where it was like almost like a drone shot is what it looked like looking down at the car driving through the whole development. They had these musical cues that kept returning throughout the film that kind of sounded almost like wine glasses were kind of clinking together and like distorted. Well, and they, there's a lot of really interesting elements. In I don't know music. if you guys picked it up, but there's a sound effect when Jesse Eisenberg runs his hands along the banister of the the uh, stairs, you know, kind of where the bars are coming down. And it, it makes that do 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 like, mm-hmm. and they repeat that sound through the score. It's really cool how they incorporate oh, some like know. sound effects from the movie into the score. 
that's I did not catch that. That's really fucking cool. Yeah. Yeah, I I, I really dug uh yeah, everything about the set like yeah. I that's what I mean like I you know, even if parts of this movie on a story level don't totally work for me, all the elements that go into the making of it are really interesting and have a, clearly yeah. have thought put behind them. You know, so like the sound design, the visuals, that you know, everything that we're highlighting on the show so far. Like this is yeah. all like there's thought going into this movie and like Again, like, Eric, thank you for fucking bringing this to our attention because yeah, it's like this is a movie that choice. I never would have watched otherwise. Yeah. And as we're mentioning just the music and sound and stuff, just a quick shout out. Like, remember when the kid starts screaming? <laughs> Whenever he would start screaming, it always started with like the shriek, like bird shrill at the start, and then it would morph into kind of human. Yeah. And I was I found that so off-putting. But you're right, the sound design. The sound, the guttural sound together. that he makes when he's doing the neck thing. God, that is horrifying. Oh, terrifying. terrifying. And the sound of like the TV thing. Like we yeah, talked it's, about it's the visual, all but like really the sound well is like really crazy too. Yeah, it's like Hypnotoad from Futurama. <laughs> yeah, Absolutely. Exactly. Absolutely. <laughs> no, I love all that shit. Um, and I think cool. this movie is just, it, it's well constructed on, on all these little technical levels. So I guess we kind of, we talked about the performances. We mentioned the director, the visual style. I think it'd be fun to just kind of run through just any favorite scenes, you know, relatively quickly. So I'll just pass it to you, Eric. Are there any scenes other than the ones that we've kind of outlined that really kind of struck you as like, that was a fucking great scene, or I really dug that one or whatever? Yeah, um, I mean, we've touched on a couple of them. I think going back and, and rewatching really the whole first like 15 minutes is there's a lot happening. You know, the scene where you meet Martin who I don't know that actor's name, but he's really memorable in his like short role of his name. I'm, I just want to credit him. His name is Jonathan Aris. Jonathan Aris. Yeah. He's adequately or superbly creepy and robotic and inhuman. And the fact that they're agreeing to go anywhere with this guy, I mean, granted they're driving their own car, so they probably don't feel like they're at danger, but um, Yeah. <laughs> I would have been it's, walking out of there immediately. Dude, no, I'm I'm so glad good. you highlighted his his performance because we hadn't touched on it yet, and it and it deserves recognition because he's striking the perfect balance of creepy, weird, but feeling like a cohesive character. Like he's doing a wide like range of disparate weird shit, but it all feels natural to that character. Which is, I mean, that's a feat. Like I think it could be yes. really easy to just be like. Oh, I'm gonna do we- this weird thing in this scene, and this weird thing in this scene, and it, and it feeling incongruous or like it it doesn't yes. all like work together. He does like the mimic thing, even. Yeah. Oh, he that does. was so yeah, fucking like when, creepy. Oh, that was the creepiest moment in the first act for sure. When he was just like, when she says, oh, "We're not really planning on it," and he says it exactly back the same way. And you're just like, so Why? fucking creepy. And if you guys like. If next time you watch, if you just see scenes from this movie or whatever, take note of like uh, the first time we meet him. And obviously it's like super fucking creepy and really weird. But specifically, the, the first shot we're introduced is behind his head. And then we it switches around and we, we cut to the front of his face. His facial movements in that where he's like kind of trying to muster a fake smile because he's this sort Dude. of mimicking alien is unbelievable 100% it's a great I felt the physical same performance. way on rewatch it's like oh my god he's like he's this perfect fake human 
like trying to manufacture what a human you would do. It, it yeah, plays it. You, on but face. you see the alien breaking through at points. You also see the excitement of the alien, like recognizing that they have another host family or whatever it yeah. would be. Uh, but he's like trying to be human about it. It's just like, and like, Four seconds, it just flashes across his face. All of this stuff is going on, and it's unreal. So, yeah, that was a great choice, Eric. Do you have another one too of like scenes that really stuck out? Uh, yeah. I mean, like when they first go in the house, I mean, I talked about like the pictures kind of sticking out. Um, and then I think like the end. You know, we talked about the one really crazy scene. You know, that like after I finished the movie, I I rewinded and watched that part to be like, what? did i even just see because there's so many things happening but then the end where you you it, it kind of clicks in your head okay wow he just dug his own grave and this guy is the replacement for the guy in the store and this is just starting the same cycle over and here comes the next couple but when they you know the thing with the body bags is kind of interesting because all three of them get put into body bags um jesse and Imogen and Martin, the, the older Martin, all mm-hmm. get put in body bags while they're still alive. I guess Jesse's dead, but the other two are still alive, like they're dying when they get put into the body bag, and you they have that little hatch, which I don't think body bags actually have. Is <laughs> the little yeah. window great point? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, and it's, it's like vacuum sealed. Yeah, like, like we want to, fucking... we want you to watch what's happening while you suffocate. Yeah. Or we want to like go back to this body bag to see. I don't know to file you away because they literally fold him up, yeah. and put him in a filing cabinet. If I'm being honest, yeah. I I want to say that that is just a choice on the part of the production to make a body bag where you can see the reaction of people when that yeah. thing is being closed. I don't yeah. think it's actually like necessarily story driven, but I think it's interesting to think about what the practical approach to that might have been yeah yeah but that that was memorable when you know dude how about when he rolls the other martin up and you hear that's crunching (laughs) yeah oh my god and he just throws him in the filing cabinet i loved it yeah just (laughs) i love the grim morbidity of that whole thing that whole cycle that they go through the body bags are to the right, and then the drawers, I guess, on the left. Are I tried to pause the movie and see what the tag read. I really wanted to see. I only saw Martin yonder. Mount, uh, Martin was like the names at the top. I couldn't make anything out underneath it, but I really was hoping there was more information about like alien subculture, quote unquote, like on that tag that he staples onto the body bag. Mm-hmm. But I couldn't. I couldn't glean anything from it from just my TV. Yeah. No. I. I- I love the little details of the movie in that way. Like I, I think a lesser movie would have taken that specific scene that you're referencing, Jared, in terms of like rolling the dude up and crunching his bones. Like I, I, I think it's like a sleeping bag. <laughs> Literally. Like a bag. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he, I, I think a lesser filmmaker would have tried to make more of a show of that scene in terms of like really like hammering home the grossness of it. But I love that it's done like behind the desk. It's very subtle. You get the weird sound effect. You know exactly what's happening, but it's communicating it in a way that doesn't feel like doesn't feel like hey, look look what we're doing. It's like you could miss yeah. that if you're not actually like listening for that sound effect. 
in a way, it's grosser. Yeah. Like if, you, if they showed it, because it's, like, so, oh, that's it's just so matter of fact. Yeah, it's just like, oh, you just hear it. It's like, God damn, dude. It's so cringy. It's brutal. In a good way, obviously. Any any scenes you want to highlight, Jared? I just got the one. I mean, everything else we've pretty much touched, and I and I even kind of alluded to it earlier, but the scene that really swept me off my feet was when the baby arrives in the box. And there's a lot of reasons specifically that that scene just works like gangbusters for me. First is the... Not even a misdirect. It's in the movie for story purposes, but like, how do they get food? And we see the scene before of the box filled with like that generic, terrible looking, like vacuum sealed shrimp and all this nonsense in the box. It's like a hospital luncheon, you know, a hospital cafeteria or some shit. But even worse, like even worse. And then from there it goes to the Eisenberg burning the house down thing, which again is a pretty big story moment early on it's like pretty pretty aggressive move this early end of the film and then we're it's the next morning they're recovering from sleeping on the curb and there's another box in the road and we have had clues that there's going to be something about childhood in this or child rearing with the birds in the nest and the awkwardness of there being an established boys room in the house but other than that, it still has been relatively subtle. And she opens the box and there's a baby in it. And, and it's so surprising because we expect it to be food or something else, or I certainly did on first viewing. And what I was so enamored by on rewatch is they don't do anything for the score there. So this is something that like the, the movie is not... I would say conservative with its use of score. It kind of throws it around and that's not a bad thing, but I think it's so cool that they made a conscious effort to like let that moment sit and be shocking on its own and not have any sort of score living underneath it or like trying to amplify anything. It's shocking enough that there's just this infant in a cardboard box at the door. Uh, It doesn't need any amplification. And by, by, going against the grain and not doing that stuff, for me, it was even more powerful. And I was like, that's just fucking... And I remember being like, holy shit, the first time I saw it. Because again, it sneaks up on you because there aren't any of those... And again, they they, they set the Texas two-step in front of you with the food box. So they kind of pull a magic trick on you and they don't do a lot of the cliche choices when they do it. So it, it for me, was like... One of my favorite scenes in the movie, and my favorite reveal by far, where I was just like, "Holy fuck, that's a baby!" It's like, God, they got me good on that one. Yeah, it's 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 a wild reveal. I I knew it was coming because I had seen the one image of them holding up a baby, and I kind of like put that together once I saw that. But um, so it didn't shock me quite as much. But yeah, it is like that is the point. That's like an inflection point in the movie where it's like it it either starts to click for you more at that point or I feel like you're dipping out of it there. Yeah. But yeah, Did I, you have I, any I really dug it. No, I, you know, I think we've covered like pretty much all the scenes that I would have highlighted um, to this point. You know, I guess I, I'll just re-mention, I mean, in terms of just horrifying imagery, the, the neck thing will never not sit in my head. That's <laughs> That's living rent-free in my head for the rest of my life. You just made a perfect accidental segue. Let's do it. Because that's my beef. Your beef. I got beef with the next scene. Okay. I think there is a massive mistake in this movie that robs 
the next scene of even being better than it would have been. And it is a good scene. I do want to get that out there. I like the scene. But when she gets the book from the kid and is flipping through the pages, they sit on that image of the frog throat thing. And I think that's a huge mistake. I think if they didn't give you that image and then it came out of nowhere, it would have been so much more startling and so much more frightening. I think I, I don't agree. for the life of me know why they did that. I, I didn't, uh, I will say this. I, I saw that image. I, I remember seeing that image before I saw the neck thing, but for whatever reason, the neck thing still surprised me. So it didn't, it didn't ruin it for me on first, on first viewing. But that being said, yeah. I do think it could have been more effective without that. What do you think, Eric? Yeah, I guess I didn't really pick up on that as like a spoiler of uh and and in hindsight I I I wouldn't have even been able to tell you which came first the book or the neck thing but clearly the book came first. I mean to me the book was like one of those things that they really tease you with and I'm like man I want to like pause and look at this book and yeah try to decipher some like does the book connect to the tv thing and like what is this book manual telling him how does this kid know how to read this weird language obviously it's not a human i mean it raises like a ton of questions and it's one of the few insights we get into this alien world that exists in this movie um but yeah yeah yeah, I I, like, I don't know what it what it was, I don't know what it was about the structure of that, but it didn't fully register with me. So that's interesting to me that you immediately latched yeah. onto that. Yeah, and, and I like I do like the book. I just wish that because I feel like they the shot of the picture of the throat thing is my only beef with it. It's like I wish maybe they just did a flash of that. Or, or didn't sit on it as long because then we saw what the, we kind of saw what the aliens looked like. Mm. So then when he did it, it, it kind of lost its surprise a little. Mm -hmm. But the rest of the book, like the cryptic nature and like those weird drawings of like the cells coming down from space into these separate beings, someone in between human. Like I loved all that shit because we're just getting online with like what is going on. Right. Um, but I just wish they had kept that reveal. I think it would have been even more disturbing if this kid all of a sudden throat gets like throat, like frog throat, you know, yeah. but minor, minor thing. But I do think it was a mistake in the edit personally. Yeah, no, I, I, I get that. And, you know, I think that actually makes another great segue, which is going from the book and kind of the way that the book is, is hinting at what's going on with this whole scenario, but not totally giving you answers there. You know, I mean, Eric, early in the conversation, you mentioned that, you know, you like stories that ask a lot of questions, but are somewhat withholding with their answers. You know, I, you know, obviously that's a part of this movie as well. How did you feel about the ending? And like, did you feel like it was a sufficient resolution to what they're setting up in this for what you're looking for in these kind of stories? Yeah, I mean... I think they maybe could have done more with sort of what the alien situation What's their goal? That was, was supposed kind of my question. to be. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, cause you, you're thinking about it, but you really don't have that much to think about because they only give you these little nuggets that aren't really developed that much. And I don't know if there's necessarily supposed to be something to focus on there, 
which is fine. I mean, I, you know, I think the movie is more about the aspect of being trapped and the as you know, what the character, how the characters were reacting to that. And, you know, this cycle it's more of a of character like, piece than it is like a, like an overall kind of like think piece about what's going on with the scenario. Yeah. And I mean, it's about like Martin and like their whole purpose is to raise this alien parasite salesman thing. And so you're kind of thinking about <laughs> him and what his role is in this universe, but you're not like, you don't really have a lot to go off of like, well, well why, you know, like yeah. other than to get more people into this situation to raise another one of these Martins, like what, what are the Martins doing besides that for this alien race? Like, is this some sort of TV show that they're watching? I mean, <laughs> really you know, like into the South park angle, Rick and Morty style. Yeah. Or like, <laughs> or the name too. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. we don't, there's not really a whole lot of substance there. It's kind of, more about the the parenting stuff and the you know getting trapped in suburban hell or that kind yeah. of thing um so from yeah, like a sci-fi perspective you know i think of like lost or like the show dark or even some of the some black mirror stuff where they don't even have as much time to develop those strands of the story I think if there was a little bit more there that we could go off of, it, it would have been potentially better. But, um, you know, there's time constraints and they're not going to go full Matrix taking you out of the Matrix because, I mean, in my opinion, that's when the Matrix movies go downhill is when they show you more than little blips of outside of the Matrix. Well, that's another episode we need to do later, which is defending yeah. Matrix uh reloaded and revolutions drew is fan. mounting his horse as we speak I'm mounting <laughs> i think um it's so funny that you said that eric because i my roommate like i said kind of half watched the movie with me and she she mentioned something similar it's like what are they doing what 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 are the aliens doing and i and i kind of flippantly and jokingly responded what are we doing like what are we doing we're just procreating and just randomly like doing things and I, I did kind of, like I said, say that in a flippant way, but there is some truth to it. I think the movie is kind of asking that. It's like, what are we doing also? Um, but my my read on what the aliens, in terms of the fiction of the story, not metaphorically potentially representing us or whatever, but I think the Martin that was churned out is just one offspring from the system, and that is his role. But other potential like alien humanoid reflections are infiltrating society on other levels and and which is when she's going through the other homes and there's obviously other parenting scenarios happening i thought that okay so this is how they breed this specific martin but others are maybe being placed in other places in society where they mimic human behavior but this Martin's role is to indoctrinate future parents into this sort of fucking crazy scheme. Yeah, um, that's a good point. Yeah. So you but, think, and, and one of the memorable little snips from that scene is the couple that's just having sex while their Martin is just standing right there in the room, not even looking. Clapping. Like, 
Yeah, yeah he's clapping. He's clapping. It's like, is he yeah. learning to procreate, to try to procreate with actual humans? Like, is that what's happening there? Or who knows? Who knows? <laughs> it's just, I don't know. But again, and it makes it, I think, is going to in this new category of Eric movies. There's so many different ways to slice it and approach it. It makes for a really fun chat. And also, outside of conversational strengths, just a cool movie. Drew, did you have general like takeaway thoughts and in, in this kind of vein yeah i mean i i'm with eric in the sense that i i do enjoy you know going back to what what eric said about burning you know early on i think i really enjoy a movie that is willing to leave a lot of interpretation to the audience i think that that's a really fun viewing experience at times i think this movie rides the line of that for me where I do like kind of trying to formulate some of the interpretations of this, but I think it's a little too broad where I would like it to be maybe just, maybe just give me like a couple of bumpers on the aisle so that I, I at least know where like my ball is going to fall down, like and hit some pins, you know, like right. give me, give me something. Cause otherwise I'm just in the fucking gutter. Uh, I see. You know, so you're saying maybe like 15%, one, yeah, 5% yeah, more just, explanation. Just like give me just a touch of more like hint there to tell me what the, the goal of these aliens or yeah. whatever the fuck these species are that are the, the gods of this universe. Um, mm. I, I just wanted a little more to, to, to at least give me a grounding point to build off of. And I think this movie, that's maybe the only failing of this movie on a story level is it doesn't give you that point to build from. Um, yeah. Yeah. That being said, that being said, I really, really do love the questions this movie brings up in my head. And I like where it kind of is pointing me. I just wanted a little more direction there. But it leaves you wanting more. Absolutely. I mean, dude, seriously, like I would take another movie in this universe. I want to know more about what's going on here, much in the same way that like Lost used to bring those questions up, you know? And that's true, dude. And just to tie it back to another movie that I've seen recently, I feel like this movie is the anti don't look up. We're like, don't look up is like so on the nose and it's so obvious about everything it's saying. Yeah. Like to the point Uh, where it sounds like like an Adam McKay beating you over the head with it. (laughs) Yeah. What do you know? And this is very much like man's got an opinion. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) This is like the opposite of that, where it's like, I'm like any of these ideas I'm having, I'm not even really totally sure if that's what the director had in mind. I mean, some of them, I guess, but, it's not it's saying different things and it's kind of raising questions without beating you over the head with the answer to those questions. No, um, and I appreciate and, and making that. It I like fully obvious. I like Dude, when I a movie I like when a movie respects its audience and it says I trust you to make your own interpretations of what we're saying here and for you to be at least on the right track. That that to me like when a when a filmmaker trusts their audience that way that to me tells me that I'm in good hands, you know? For sure. Well, let's wrap up here. I mean, I think, Jared, you brought up earlier that you had looked up the definition of vivarium and it's interesting in some way. Why don't you break out that? It is interesting in some way. I did not know this word existed. So I got thrown off. I did want to mention this. 
by the like 1500 production companies that were involved <laughs> in this movie. I forgot to mention that. Holy fuck. The most production logos so I've ever seen. <laughs> ever into seen. A movie. And I'm like, all right, so is it a Danish film? Because again, I intentionally Which try to was. reduce my. It was a Danish intel. production ultimately. But it's like Irish too, because the director's Irish. I don't know yeah. what the fuck's going yeah. on. But so when I heard, when I saw all these kind of international logos parading by endlessly, I thought, oh, so it's like a foreign language film. And therefore, I assumed that vivarium was not an English word because I have never heard this word before. And then as I kind of tracked down some interviews after the fact, I realized it was an English word. Had you two ever heard this word before? Eric, I'll start with you. No. Never. No. Goose eggs across the I mean, board. It makes me okay, think of like, like planetarium. The, the planetarium. The <laughs> planetarium. I will say that's fucking close. So dictionary.com has it as an enclosure, container, or structure adapted or prepared for keeping animals under soup or under semi-natural conditions for observation or study or as pets. And like an aquarium or a terrarium, to your point. Semi-natural Eric. makes a lot of uh doing a lot of work for, there. It's beautiful. That it, that, that's so true. And and I just wanted to th- I don't know if we if we we really hit that nail on the head, but like the fact that the purpose of these parents for these aliens are for the aliens to be able to represent human emotion. So we get those great scenes, even though I was kind of bashing the performance of the older version of the guy, when he is mimicking her grief to her to kind of try to be able to replicate it later, that shit is super fucking creepy. Yeah. And at, there's so much baked into this definition that I do think, again, I've heard of terrarium and aquarium. There was a really the the peak various, <laughs> like versions of ariums I've ever heard. I've never heard of a vivarium and I'm glad that we all share that ignorance together wow. until now. What a reveal for the end of this episode. And that kind of answers it, a little bit of the questions we have about the aliens. I mean, cause it suggests that like these Martins are like the early versions of the aliens they're trying to create that can blend in adapt into culture. Yeah. Absolutely. Maybe maybe they're prepping for an invasion. Who knows? Which suggests that a salesman is the least human version of a human. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I wish I could see when she was falling through the house, like one of the room was clearly like the child was a future politician. The other one is like, you know, and and uh, maybe an actor if they had the balls to do it or some other like person who finally kind of falls into Just some sort anyone of who's behavior. making a livelihood on uh, presenting a false version of themselves. Yeah. I love that. Well, that's, I think that's as good a place as any to wrap up here. Well, Eric, thank you so much for a great choice of movie. I, you know, I think great like, choice dude. uh, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say this is like my favorite movie of all time, but this is like exactly, <laughs> exactly what I wanted out of a friend's choice for this movie because it brought up a ton of questions. It was super interesting. It had a unique point of view as like from the filmmaker, good performances. Like I just think it, it hit all the marks for a dartboard movie night uh, selection. So thank you. Well, shout out to Jared for his dart skills and hitting a bullseye. Let's run through the board real quick before we jump to uh, throwing the dart. So the current board, it's the same same as it was last week, but I'll recap it anyway. At number one, we've got You Can Count On Me. At number two, we've got 
Ex Machina. Number three, The Right Stuff. Number four, The Big Sleep. Number five, Operation Condor. Number six, The Sixth Sense. Number seven, Amadeus. Number eight, Alan Partridge. Number nine, Days of Heaven. Number 10, Big Daddy. Number 11, Vertigo. Number 12, The Straight Story. Number 13, Thunderbolt and Lightfoot. Number 14, The King of Comedy. Number 15, The Birdcage. Number 16, Putney Swope. Number 17, Mother. Number 18, The Killing of a Chinese Bookie. Number 19, Honor Majesty's Secret Service. And at number 20, as always, The Ballad of Cable Hogue. Uh, all right, Jared, you want to throw that dart and see where we're landing today? Let's do it. Aim for right. that 20. You seem like you want the 20. <laughs> number 20, I don't want ever to change because if The Ballad of Cable Hogue goes away, I don't have a good capper to this. <laughs> Eric and Drew, the dart has spoken. Oh, yeah. <gasps> I think it might be a new number. I actually did not double check the thing, but let me, mm. let me throw it out there. Is it a 20? Okay. The dart has said eight. Crazy eight. Jared, you're going to be very happy with this. Number eight is a movie that you have been very excited to hit for a little while. I know this. Number eight is Alan Partridge. Fuck yes! <laughs> Fuck yes! I have wanted to watch this movie for like four months, five months, and stupidly I put it on the board. Oh, that'd be a fun one. I was going to be chasing a ghost forever. I'm so excited we finally hit have it. I've been wanting to see this movie. Eight? Not even. Not Trying even. To hit it just like no, I just literally I just, seven. Seven has been hit a couple of times, but he he has not come around eight. And eight, and you know, the dartboard, it's weird, but I just have not, again, with the old board placement, I used to be up against the wall when I was throwing on my left. So a lot of those lefter numbers were just kind of taken off of my range. But I'm so excited to see this movie. There's a story about, I saw about five minutes in one scenario. We'll cover it next week. So Alan Partridge, currently available at the time of recording anyway, on Hulu with a premium subscription, HBO Max. Pay to rent from a variety of places. Should be available. British. I love British humor. And also, again, the dart in mysterious ways. We go from fucking Eric's pick, which is an Irish director. And then we go to someone else, like another kind of United Kingdom sort of thing. This is really fucking cool. To be clear, Ireland is not part of the UK. Is that true? It's not. No, Ireland is its own country. Northern Ireland is part of the UK, but not Ireland itself. Oh, they're so confusing. Unreal. Are they though? <laughs> no, it's def it has nothing to do with my ignorance. It's they're confusing. <laughs> That's the problem. Either way, regardless of how they draw their borders, I'm excited about Alan Partridge and looking forward to, to next week. And Eric. Thank you for this great recommendation. Dude, great episode. Eric, thank you for coming on. Uh, any last words? Anything you want to plug here? Yeah, well, I'm glad you guys liked it. I mean, I, I, I was secretly hoping one of you would absolutely hate it and just like, like <laughs> just unload on your frustrations of unanswered questions. But I guess that would just be a, a lesser movie fan that would get triggered so easily by that. But um, <laughs> I, I do want to say, you know, a, a parting thought is. 
what if this movie is really just an allegory for discovering bluegrass? You know, Yonder Mountain String Band is a bluegrass <laughs> episode. Is a bluegrass band that uh, is is really like for a lot of people the the entryway into bluegrass. They used to be the biggest bluegrass band on the scene, and you know when you enter Yonder, sometimes uh, you never leave, and uh, you're never near enough or far enough. You're already home. And you're just trapped in the bluegrass scene, as some of us are. Um, so you're yeah. recontextualizing the way that you uh, <laughs> entered, or, or the way that you introduced me to the bluegrass scene now feels a lot more sinister. I'll say that. Yeah, I'm, just I'm like when you were shown the house in the movie. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> you're the, the Martin. I'm the Martin of the story. <laughs> Eric's the bluegrass Martin. Fucking Eric. <laughs> Well, I've also, again, can't thank you enough for the recommendation, Eric, and for listening, and of course, the song, and look forward to having you back some point in the future. Whenever it works, we'd be happy to have you anytime. I believe and, uh, uh, I believe your it. band has uh, an EP coming out at some point. Is that true? Well, if by coming out, you mean we've, we've talked about booking a studio and haven't done it yet. <laughs> yeah, we, it's coming out any day now. They haven't even begun to record it, but the songs exist. They will exist in on Spotify at some point. Um, We had so my band is called Jaws and Other Villains. I'll I'll plug that. Um, We have a pretty bad Spotify or not Spotify SoundCloud. That's iPhone recordings, Um, which we link to in every show note of this this show. There's a link to Jaws and Other Villains, and I have to throw out a couple of quick shout outs. I love that name. I, I don't know if I ever mentioned it to you directly. Everyone either loves it, it or Drew. hates it. I'm glad it's I'm glad great. You love it. That's a gr- fuck the people who say they hate it. It's a great name. And also, I am I, I've mentioned before. I love what Eric did for the podcast. It was very specific for what we wanted. We wanted something goofy. It was it's not indicative. It's perfect for what we want, but it's not indicative of the sound of his band. No, that's his just me messing band. around on GarageBand. Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> again. Exactly what we wanted and better than I imagined, but Eric's music from his actual band is is like better and deeper than what we have on the show. I, I did have an alternate theme song uh, before Drew and Jared had an actual title, before they settled on the dartboard movie night thing. Um, it was originally that this I came up with this title. It, it didn't stick, but it was uh, Drew and HP getting niche with movies. And uh, I don't know if you still have that recording. Maybe you can edit that in here. I'm sure. um, yeah, I mean, we have to in. end the episode with that now. <laughs> yeah. that's, that's Fuck just... the outro. It, it, well, well, I'm, I'm still, still going to do the outro because we got to we got to give the the plug at the end of it for everything. But outro after the outro is going to lead that's... into this song now. Yeah, that's great. So we in this episode we've discovered best supporting supporting actor and best outro outro. So best, yeah, best supporting <laughs> outro is is now up. <laughs> Well, anyway, that that's been our episode on Vivarium. Um, hope you guys had as fun a time as we did up with it. But thank you again to Eric for giving us that uh, that bullseye selection. Excited to get to another Fuck bullseye yeah, in the future. That was a, a really cool exercise and proved the concept, which I'm really happy about. So uh, next week we'll be covering Alan Partridge. See you guys then. Later. You're already home. Thank you so much for listening. Please remember to subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen. If you want to keep in touch or if you have a bullseye selection you want to send our way, drop us a line at dartboardmovienight at gmail.com. 
If it's for the bullseye, make sure you use subject line bullseye confidential. Follow us on Instagram at dartboard movie night. Artwork for the show was created by Veronica Roman and all of our music is by Eric Williams. Play us out, Eric. <laughs>